Let's start over. <laughs> when we come to Psalm 32, we come to a psalm that speaks of forgiveness. But I feel like the TV advertiser who says, wait, wait, there's more. Because we find more here. In fact, as we look at this psalm, we see the blessedness of forgiveness and righteousness and integrity. There is so much here that I'm not sure I can get through it all, so I ask your patience this morning and your prayerfulness as we work through this psalm together. There are inspired words here that help us. A little two-syllable Hebrew word, selah. What does selah mean? It means stop and think about that. So we're going to do that a couple of times this morning. There are three selahs, so I have four points. And the selahs will punctuate the points if I preach the text, which I hope to do. So let's look at our text this morning. <clears throat> this psalm begins in verses 1 and 2 with a continuation of blessing. And my first point can be found in the title of the sermon, although I've alliterated it just so I remember what I'm going to say. Rely upon God who blesses you with His forgiveness and righteousness. He blesses you with His forgiveness and righteousness. The first two words in Hebrew are ashrei ha'ish. Blessed is the man. And some of our translations want to modernize that. And I hope we don't do that this morning because the word is ha'ish, the man. And we're going to see why it's the man as we pursue the text together. It doesn't mean that women and children are left out. Don't get me wrong. But if we believe that every word has been breathed out by God, and Paul in 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17, by the way, was talking about the Old Testament. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Jesus said, until heaven and earth pass away, not a jot or a tittle will pass away until all is accomplished. Then we have to pay attention to the jots and the tittles. We have to cross the T's and dot the I's the way the inspired writers did. What is this first blessing? It is the blessing of forgiveness. A full, a free, and a final forgiveness. And I want to thank the session for inviting me to preach because in the preparation of this brand new sermon, I have felt a revival in my own soul. I have felt a time of refreshing from the Lord, a renewal of my own need for the forgiveness of my sins. And that's my prayer for you too. Because my sensitivity to my need for forgiveness is not always what it should be. And maybe you're a little bit like me too. Blessed is the man, he says, whose transgression is forgiven, 
Notice the three different words here for sin and the three different actions that are taken. Whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, who, how blessed is the man whose iniquity Yahweh will not take into account, and in whose spirit there is no dis- deceit. Notice that there is not only the blessing of forgiveness, and remember, I'm not going to presume to tell you what this text, apart from what the New Testament says about it. That would be a bit presumptuous on my part, wouldn't it? For what we read in Romans 4 in our first reading this morning is that Paul is not simply talking about forgiveness. He's talking about righteousness. See, because all forgiveness does is get you back to zero. And whenever I ask for the forgiveness of my sins and get back to zero, I know that of myself that's all I've got. (laughs) Zero. It's why Paul says in our text, to him who works not, but trust the one who justifies the ungodly. To him it is reckoned as righteousness. That's the blessing. It's no wonder David was rejoicing in the Lord and being glad and shouting for joy by the time he gets to the end of this psalm. I remember a brother I went to college with, uh, I went to a Christian college, and we would have a weekly prayer meeting. And he made the statement that if 60,000 fans can get into a stadium and scream at the top of our lungs, then I can raise my voice because my sins have been forgiven. How about you? Can you shout for joy? Can you sing with gladness from the heart? Can you confess that you have the blessing that David talks about this morning. But see, with justification here, there's also sanctification. Did you notice the last part of verse 2? And in whose spirit there is no deceit. See, all those whom God justifies, He also sanctifies. And Paul agrees with this, not only in Romans 4, which we have read, but he agrees with it in Romans 5. He talks about the blessing of justification, doesn't he? In Romans 5, 1 and 2. He said, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. But Paul also says, wait, wait, there's more. He says, not only so. We also rejoice in our sufferings. Are you going with Paul there this morning? If you can rejoice in your justification, the grace in which you stand, your access by faith, your hope of the glory of God, can you as a congregation of Christ also rejoice in your sufferings? Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance proves proven character, and proven character hope, and hope that does not make ashamed, because the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. David knew how blessed he was. 
Beloved in the Lord, do you know how blessed you are? You have in Jesus Christ the offer of a full and free and final forgiveness so that you can sing or say with John Wesley, no condemnation now I dread. Jesus in all in him is mine, alive in him my living head, and robed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whose iniquity Yahweh does not take into account and in whose spirit there is no deceit, there is no guile. But you see, David had a problem, didn't he? He was keeping silent about his sin. And we know David's story, don't we? We can read 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. We can read about David at the height of his sanctification and at the depth of his sins. Notice what he says here next. When I kept silent about my sin, my bones wasted away through groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the heat of summer. I acknowledged, well, we'll stop there for verses 3 and 4. David has a problem. David is a child of God. But David had an impenitent part in his heart. And we're going to get to that. But I don't want to get confused about justification and sanctification. There's been entirely too much of that in the church. We need to see here why David uses the words, the blessed man. How many of you can quote Psalm 1 verse 1 by heart? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in that law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in his season, and his leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. That's the blessed man. But David was not that blessed man. He was the blessed man who needed to have his sins forgiven. He needed to have his transgression, his sin covered, his transgression forgiven. His iniquity imputed to another. And herein we hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, don't we? What did they say to Jesus in Luke 19 when he came in to Jerusalem? Blessed is the one, the man, the he who comes in the name of the Lord. You see, Jesus is that blessed man who walked not in the counsel of the ungodly, who did not stand in the way of sinners, who did not sit in the seat of the scornful, but his delight perfectly and pervasively and perpetually was in the law of the Lord. And in that law he meditated day and night. And yet, he was treated like the ungodly. Was he not upon the cross? He was like the chaff, became like the chaff, which the wind drives away. He was made like the sinner who would not stand in the congregation of the righteous. What does Paul say in 2 Corinthians 5, 
21. God made him sin who knew no sin. That in him we might be the righteousness of God. Oh, brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, do you understand how forgiven you are? How justified you are? Because unless and until you understand that, you're going to be like the one that David talks about and says, don't be as the horse or as the mule which has no understanding, whose harness or bit and bridle to control them. Otherwise, they will not come near you. What is David talking about here? He's talking about himself. He learned a lesson. Notice what he says in verse 6. Therefore, verses 1 through 5, what precede, verse 6, that's not a particularly profound theological assertion. It's just, number, it's just arithmetic. Six comes after five. Why does he say therefore in six? Because he'd learned a lesson. He had not drawn near. He had stayed away. Brothers and sisters, how's your prayer life? I have friends in South Carolina who shall remain nameless. If you ask me afterwards, I might tell you. He was a lawyer who became a preacher and then ran for governor. And he and his wife would sit in the living room waiting for their boys to come home from school. And the boys would go back to their bedroom so they could change into their play clothes. But there were two ways to get to the bedroom. One was through the living room where mom and dad were. The other was through the kitchen where they wouldn't have to face their folks. And my friends always knew when the boys had been up to something, up to no good, because they would never come into the living room. They would always go through the kitchen. I, I, I see some boys laughing in the back saying, I've done that too. Me too. Are you drawing near with a true heart in full assurance of faith? For Christ, when he entered the most holy place, not the one on earth made with hands, but into the heavens itself, he took not the blood of bulls and goats, but his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. And now by the power of an indestructible life, he ever lives to make intercession for those who draw near. Are you drawing near? In the times of trouble, are you drawing near? David didn't draw near, and look what happened to him. I kept silent about my sins. My bones wasted away through groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the heat of summer. The blessed man endured that for you. Do you recall the words? Maybe you've experienced the deep, silent sighs in your own soul, the quiet groaning. I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I hadn't done that. I should have done this, but I did that.
Brothers and sisters, these verses speak not only of our conviction of sin. They speak of the condemnation Christ endured. He had no need of repentance as we do, as David did in this psalm. Because Jesus never sinned. Nevertheless, remember what he says in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, if I was going to, if I were ever to come anywhere near to going through what Jesus went through in the Garden of Gethsemane, I think I would have picked different people than the one who was going to deny me three times and the, and the ten who were going to forsake me and flee. But Jesus says, Now is my soul sorrowful, even unto the point of death. Watch with me a while. Peter, James, and John. Jesus' grief was so great as the darkness of death and the shadow of the exceeding sinfulness of all our sins began to weigh upon his shoulders. It so began to overshadow him that he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is what Jesus suffered for you, brothers and sisters, that you might know the blessed of forgiveness, that you, blessedness of forgiveness, that you might know the blessedness of justification, that you might know the blessedness of sanctification. For what does he say in John 19, verse 28? Jesus cries out, In order that the Scriptures might be fulfilled, I thirst. And as the sky grew dark from the sixth to the ninth hour, and the thick shadow and silence of sin reigned over the heavens. No voice was heard from heaven to answer him when he cried out. The voice that had spoken both at his baptism and on the Mount of Transfiguration, this is my son whom I love. And on the Mount he said, listen to him. Instead, the divine voice did not speak. He uttered no words to his son upon the cross because our sins, your sins, my sins, were heavy upon him. Do you understand what your forgiveness and your justification and your sanctification cost your Savior? There's a hymn in the Trinity hymnal that begins with the words, and the hymn title is Stricken, Smitten, and Afflicted. And the second verse says, Ye who think of sin but lightly, here and now consider well. And it speaks of the death of Christ on the cross for your sins. So, brothers and sisters, have you entered into the blessedness of your forgiveness? Are you drawing near? This Christian life of prayer is more than about Sundays and Wednesday nights. Jesus taught them a parable in Luke 18, verse 1, that they should always pray and never lose heart. As this church has gone through times of trouble, have you been tempted to lose heart? Jesus has taught us that we should always pray and never lose heart. Why? Because he himself 
But how does the writer to the Hebrews put it? Since therefore we have a great high priest over the house of God, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest that cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is tempted at all points even as we are and yet without sin. And he concludes, Therefore let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? So the God the Father can wag a finger in our face? No, not at all. Oh, beloved, that we may have received mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Is this your time of need, O church? Draw near. Come boldly. For you have a high priest who has been tempted at all points, even as you have been, and yet without sin. As the hymn writer says, you are coming to a king. Large petitions with you bring, for his grace and power are such. You can never ask too much. So in the words of another hymn, I bid you come, ye disconsolate. Where'er ye languish, come to the mercy seat. Fervently kneel here. Tell your wounded hearts. Here, tell your anguish. Earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. So, rely upon your God who blesses you with forgiveness and righteousness and sanctification. Don't resist your God but confess and forsake your sins. For what does the proverb writer say? Whoso covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh his sin shall have mercy. This is the good news of our text. Thirdly, we see in our text that we are to revere our God because he guides and provides protection and deliverance. Look with me at verses 6 through 8. David has learned the lesson. After having not prayed and then finally prayed, what does he say? I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let every holy one pray for you at a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You guard me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Isn't this just what Paul is saying in Colossians 3 when he says, Since then ye have been raised with Christ. Seek the things which are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. We can say what David says here. You are my hiding place. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. And not only forgiveness, not only righteousness, not only sanctification, but he protects, he guides and provides. Notice what verses 7 and 8 say. You surround me with songs of deliverance. You guard me from trouble. And he guides. I will give you insight and teach you in the way which you should go. 
I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Those of you who are parents of preschool and school-age children, when do you feel most comfortable with your kids? When your eye is on them. Where'd he go? We had our youngest son, who is now a, a, a wonderful Christian man and very successful in his calling. Whenever we would go on vacation, we had a theme, and he'll forgive me for using his first name. Where's David? He'd get lost. We were at, in London in Madame Tussauds Wax Museum, and there's so many bodies there, you know, all those figurines and statues made out of wax of famous people. We couldn't find David anywhere. And finally we found him standing behind the statue of Mr. T putting bunny ears on him and asking somebody to take his picture. You keep your eyes on your kids, don't you? Because you never know where they might go or what they might do. God says, I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And so this is good reason to draw near, isn't it? Because he has promised. What do we pray in the Lord's Prayer? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he answers that prayer, doesn't he? We could be here all day from sunrise to sunset if we were to share with one of the stories of guidance and protection and provision and deliverance that we have known as his people. And one of the sins that David struggled with Remember the story of Abigail and Nabal? One of the sins that David struggled with was vengeance. He had managed to conquer the temptation with Saul. You remember the story from 1 Samuel. But there he was. His warriors had protected the lands of the people. And so he went to one of the landowners and said, My troops need food. And Nabal, who's, according to his wife, whose name meant fool, said, why should I give you anything? How do I know you are who you claim to be? This is the king. And so David says, mount up. We're going to make an end of this man and his household. And you remember what Abigail does? She rushes out. She hears the story of what her foolish husband has done. And she prepares a feast, in short, for them and bows down before the messianic king and says, forgive the sin of your servant and receive the gift that we offer. And David blessed the Lord that this dear woman had come to him and kept him from sinning the sin of unforgiveness, anger, wrath, rage, and vengeance. And brothers and sisters, it's a good thing for us as we rejoice in the blessings of forgiveness 
and righteousness and holiness. When we come near to the Lord and thank Him for forgiveness, to remember what Jesus says in Matthew 5, therefore if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has ought against you, leave your gift at the altar. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. You see, it's always on me. Jesus says in Matthew 18, if your brother sins, go to him. He says in Matthew 5, if you know that your brother has ought against you, go to him. So it's always on me. And the thing that we learn from our Lord Jesus in that self-same Lord's Prayer is this. And forgive us our debts, and help me finish it, as we forgive our debtors. Remember the parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 18, that same chapter where he talks about going to your brother. He talks about the parable of the unforgiving servant. And the one thing that we know from Jesus about the people of God is that the forgiven forgive. Let me say that again. The forgiven forgive. So let me ask you, brothers and sisters, and I'll jump into my text for tonight just a little bit. Have you let the sun go down on your anger? Do you have aught against a brother or sister? Does a brother or sister have aught against you? If you have entered into this blessing of forgiveness and righteousness, Jesus says, when you pray, say this, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I, I preached myself right under conviction as I was preparing this sermon. There were people I needed to go to because I knew it wasn't right. But like David in this psalm, the drought of desolation is nothing when to be compared with the joy forgiveness and so the Lord says rejoice in him but restore those who are overtaken in a trespass isn't that what Paul says in Galatians 6.1 if any man be overtaken in a trespass ye that are spiritual seek to restore such a one in a spirit of meekness looking to yourselves lest you also be tempted. What does he say in 2 Timothy 2.24? The Lord's servant must not strive but instruct with patience those who are in error in the hope that they may be delivered from the snare of the devil. I paraphrase that verse. So brothers and sisters, it's always on us. The forgiven, forgive. Why? Because we're like that servant in the parable. Our debt is great. Our debts are many. And yet Jesus said, what did he say from the cross? It is finished. And there is no greater joy you will find in your forgiveness and your justification than knowing that you as Paul puts it in Romans 14, therefore, as much as it lies within you, be at peace with all men. 
you can't put peace in their hearts. That's on them. But if I understand what David went through in this psalm, and if I understand what Paul is saying in Galatians 6 and 2 Timothy 2 and Romans 14, I understand this. What he said before one of the kings in the book of Acts, I always strive to have a clear conscience before God and men. And John makes it very clear in 1 John, doesn't he? If we say we have no sin, we make him a liar, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of what? Some unrighteousness, much unrighteousness, most unrighteousness, no, all unrighteousness. He is faithful, and the root words are the same in that verse. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, brothers and sisters, let me ask you in conclusion, have you entered into the blessing of David, of the blessing of the blessed man, Jesus Christ, who was made a curse for us, Paul says in Galatians 3.14, that the blessing of Abraham, the blessing of Abraham that we read about in Romans 4, might come upon us, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Oh, brothers and sisters, come to Christ again and again and again. For what does he say? Him who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Let us give thanks. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Father, we thank you that A full and free and final forgiveness is offered us in Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that the words spoken here today, to the extent that they are your words, might take root downward and bear fruit upward in our lives. The fruits of peace, the fruits of forgiveness, the fruits of righteousness, the fruits of holiness. To that end, Lord, we commend your word to you and to our own hearts, asking you that we might be fruitful doers of the implanted word and not self-deceived hearers. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. It is our privilege now to come